0: well good morning everybody there we go it wasn't rhetorical um, so this will this will be in English uh, and, and my, my French is really uh, poor so I think if I were to try to do some things in French it would be even worse um, so um, this is Jack Deverson oh, Jack and I work together at evidence-based education Um and we're based in the northeast of England in Durham and uh, today we're going to talk very briefly for the next 15 minutes um, about what we refer to as the, as the elephant in the room um, or the uh, essentially the failure in education to implement ideas and initiatives well. Um, and there's a picture of an elephant in the room. Can you see what I did there? Yeah, okay. So we'll move on now. Um, so... In education in schools, uh, broadly, we've known for a long, long time that um, uh, there are certain things that are certainly perceived anyway to work broadly. Uh, people will talk about, you know, feedback is really important and feedback is something that we should all engage in and feedback works, right? Well, when we start to look at the evidence on feedback, if you can go back to uh, things like kluger Denise's meta-analysis from the um, mid-90s, you find some interesting facts. Um, of the studies that they collected together, and there was a huge number of them, um, over a third of those studies actually found negative impacts on student outcomes of certain types of feedback. So not all feedback works, right? Well, what about professional development? That's got to be a good thing, yeah? Engaging in teacher professional development, that has to be a good thing. Well, sadly, um, there's case against that as well to a certain extent. And John Gray, who's a former uh, philosopher at um, the LSE uh, in London, uh, possibly I think one of the most depressing people on earth, um, uh, talks rather wonderfully about uh, what he calls the resolute avoidance of unsettling facts, the human condition that actually when we think that it might upset us or we might find it difficult to know something, well then the preferable option is not to know. And one of the things that we know actually about teacher professional learning is that one-off workshops and listening to inspiring speakers is rarely sufficient to change teacher practice in a way that actually has an impact on student outcomes. What we know is that we need to think about the active ingredients of these initiatives that we put together to look at the research evidence that's out there and to figure out well what are the component parts that need to be replicated recreated in our context in order to see some of those positive effects of feedback or of teacher professional learning. And not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, aha, all professional learning is bad and all feedback is terrible. It's what's been called in England, certainly the Banana Rama principle. For those of you who don't know about 80s English pop music, why would you? Uh, Banana Rama was um, a, a band that came out with a song called It Ain't What You Do, It's The Way That You Do It. And that's what gets results, was the line. So, people have talked about the banana rama principle. It's not what you do, it's the way that you do it for a while. And we have decided that we want to now initiate the anti banana rama principle because it's both what you do and the way that you do it. Doing something ineffective well is just as pointless as doing something really effective badly. <laughs> so, we've got to think this through. So I'm going to hand over to Jack now to talk a little bit more about how could we and how should we do some of these things in terms of implementing initiatives in our schools.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Um, so uh, this is a quote by Sir Kevin Collins, and he is the CEO of the Education Endowment Foundation. For those of you who don't know, that's a big grant making organisation in the UK. Uh, It conducts a lot of meta-analyses of interventions on professional development and on uh, interventions for pupils as well. And basically, the reason I've put this quote up here is because he's saying the same thing as what Stu's just said. And they are, in fact, going to go and form a Bananarama tribute band yes. next week. We're with going the on two The two of them together. Um, it's, it's about both what you do and the way that you do it. They wrote uh, very recently, earlier this year, uh, the School's Guide to Implementation. And it had six recommendations, sort of high-level recommendations, uh, which we're going to sort of talk through very briefly because we've got 15 minutes. Um, so I'm going to fly through them. Uh, And we come at this from a point of view of designing professional development with implementation in mind. So we are not teachers, well Stu was a teacher, I wasn't, Um, but we make sure that all of our professional development sort of acts upon these recommendations basically and they're not easy but they're also not impossible to achieve in practice. Here is a picture um, and this is from the guide Uh, and you can come and grab me at the end and give me your email address and I'll send you a copy of the guide, a copy of these slides, a Bananarama MP3, um, and all sorts of things. Um, implementation, science, in action, then. So this is the Assessment Lead Programme. This is uh, one of our programmes uh, that we have developed, and it's, it was launched nine months ago, um, or the gestation period of your average human female, which I've written down here. Interestingly, to bring it back to the elephant thread, the gestation period of an elephant is two years. Um, so within the last nine months... In excess of 200 teachers and school leaders have used the assessment lead program and are starting to, certainly the first cohort, have already started to implement change in their schools. It just takes a bit of thought and planning and responsibility on the part of CPD and intervention providers. So back to the recommendations uh, from the previous slide. Professional development, as was said in the keynote this morning, should be a process that's executed in stages, not a one-off event. So how we do that? Well, ALP is an online programme that's 50 hours worth of learning scheduled over three terms. And it's collaborative and context based. And we make sure that it's easy, attractive, social and timely for people to engage in this good quality professional development. Uh, So I've put this picture up here. We have a passwordless login system because not only teachers, in fact, people are terrible at remembering passwords. So this makes it really easy to get into the system. But more broadly, it's about flexibility in time for doing CPD. So you don't have to be there at a certain time. If you have a free period, you can do half an hour here, half an hour there. And we found that people have very much done that. It's, some's done after school, some's done during school, and that, that's absolutely fine. Two, so create a conducive leadership environment. This is probably one of the key ones, really. And uh, this, this is one of the first things we thought about when designing ALP. How are we going to get that conducive leadership environment? So what we settled on is that it has to be two people as a minimum who come on the Assessment Lead Programme. And one of those has to be a senior leader. And this ensures that we've got buy-in from the leadership team from the start. And then about the school climate. So there are meetings throughout the programme, which I'll speak about in a couple of slides time. And it builds towards the creation of an uh, evidence-based school assessment system, which guides participants to help others. So again, it's what we were talking about first thing this morning. It's not about doing a course and then sort of working it out after the event. You have an implementation plan from the start. Three, define the problem and identify appropriate actions. That sounds so simple, but how often have, have you or have you seen someone see the name of a course and gone, oh, I'm going to go on that without an idea of what problem it's going to solve? I'm sure it's a, it's a very common problem, again, not just in education. So, first define the problem, then identify the solutions. And in the case of ALP, the problem we found was an inefficient and outdated use of assessment in schools. Uh, So we made this programme that is specific to a school context, and there's been all sorts of examples which we don't have time for, but one, for example, has used it to overhaul their entrance assessment in an independent school in the UK. And that's been really interesting for them because they were basing these really high stakes judgments on something that was not a very good quality assessment. Clear implementation plan, so this is, this is where the meetings come in, so this, uh, it brings collaboration together, so we, uh, w- well, we ensure that the assessment leads schedule weekly meetings between themselves uh, at a time that suits them, but we guide these meetings with a suggested agenda and some questions based on where they are in the course, and again, as I said before, these lead to the creation of a really detailed plan in the final module of the course. And then about supporting staff and monitoring progress. This is the final module, so it builds on the skills from the first three modules, and uh, it helps the assessment leads to lead others in that great practice. Uh, The assessment toolkit as well, which we're just launching shortly, um, and this is after the course, that will offer a dashboard for assessment leads to monitor the whole school and um, for other staff to access as well. And it'll have all sorts of tools in there from the course that other staff who haven't been on the course can also use. Finally, and uh, number six, is planning for sustaining and scaling from the start. So people are always the intervention, but it's a fact that particularly in international schools, people leave and move all the time. So how do you mitigate against that? Well, not everyone needs to know every part of the evidence-based school assess- assessment system in this case. I'm really struggling to say that this You're morning. doing well. Keep Thanks. going. Um, but enough people have to be able to do their bit and everyone has to know their part in the system and that will help mitigate the risk of losing staff and it ensures that the intervention is scalable in the long run as well. So uh, we go through a process of identifying different roles for different types of staff and different levels of leadership in this assessment intervention. And uh, that ensures distributed leadership, but also collective ownership, so everyone has, a, has their part to play. So final word from me, we are doing what little bits we can to help um, move this elephant out of the room. Uh, But that change has to come from within the room, within schools, Uh, because the CPD, well, I say CPD, a lot of what is marketed as CPD probably isn't actually continuous. It's probably just professional development. Um, And the market will change when that demand comes from schools. And we hope that sooner rather than later, because there is really good quality stuff out there. Back over to Stu to talk about the consequences of not improving implementation. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. So five minutes. Oh, well, I can relax now and just take it. Steady. Yeah, we've got edges.
0: Yeah. Um, OK, so we, so, uh, we recognise that you know, assessment is a really uh, important pillar of good, good pedagogy. Um, but for a long time, certainly in schools in the UK and with the, the schools that we're working with around the world, in uh, Peru and in Mexico and Nigeria and Uganda, it's been perceived as a kind of bolt-on. You know, it's the—it's just an added thing that you do and a, and a burden quite a lot of the time. So we wanted to try to derive greater value from assessment because we know that, that value exists. Uh, but we also wanted to do it in a way that um, extended this, this um, professional development to become truly continuous, to embed, to, to uh, integrate, so that over time it became just an automatic way that people would respond to certain situations. If we don't address some of these real um, issues around implementation, around looking very closely at the support factors that are required for interventions to succeed, around what the research says from process evaluation data about how people feel and about how they interact with particular strategies and approaches. um, And if we don't start to to think very clearly about those things, then why would we assume that the research evidence that we're starting to bring more and more into the school system Why would we assume that that will actually have an effect? Because one of the things that we know, if you look back at uh, the King's Medway-Oxford formative assessment project from the 1990s, the one that Dylan William and Paul Black and Christine Harrison worked on, um, you see there um, the early evidence for assessment for learning. Um, And you see there some really quite high quality evidence, um, quite scalable evidence, for the impact of certain assessment for learning strategies. And then you look across the last 20 years, certainly in the education system in England, and think, okay, well, all teachers say that they're doing assessment for learning, yet we haven't seen anything like the same changes in student attainment or achievement that we saw in that project. And we went and asked Christine Harrison recently a question, well, why? And she wrote a blog that's on our website that explains it much more eloquently than I can, but simply put, it's because we haven't been doing the things that people did in that project. Assessment for learning as we conceptualise it is not assessment for learning as it was tried and tested in that project. We didn't implement it faithfully. So what happens if we don't attend to this? Well, things get lost in translation. Researchers are working away, collaborating with teachers to design interventions to come up with solutions to real problems. But if what we do, and let's face it, I used to be a teacher and I used to love nothing more than coming up with my own bright idea and my own way of thinking about it, and I'll do a little bit of this and a lot more of this and tweak it like this, then why would we expect to see anything like what was found in the original research? If we change it, if we do something completely different, we'll probably get something completely different. And if things continue to get lost in translation, um, we've got a real problem. And as Jack said, When we look at interventions in schools, there are countless interventions that people talk about, you know, with reading programmes or mathematics programmes or behavioural programmes or whatever it is. But ultimately, people are the intervention. People make the difference. So if the people who are making that difference don't truly understand that they need to think very carefully about those support factors, those active ingredients of the interventions that they're putting into place then we're probably not gonna see the kind of, um, uh, the realization of evidence-based practice that we actually might, we might miss something. And there's a bigger problem with this as well. Um, I go, a couple of years ago, I got really interested in um, teacher burnout and stress. And one of the things that we know from Hobfold's conservation of resource theory is that the more that you expend personal resources in a professional context without replenishing those things, the more likely you are to experience stress and burnout. If we're expecting teachers to engage with research evidence, to do things that they find difficult and scary and what have you, but we don't give them the time, the frameworks, the support to do that really sensibly, and also if they think that what they're implementing, well, it doesn't work because we're not doing the same thing that was in the research or I don't understand why, it can lead to actually an even more heightened state of stress and burnout. And we just create a new problem, but with the best of intentions. So I'm gonna leave it there and simply say that that elephant that remains in the room at the moment um, can be pulled out and also pushed out. But if we just rely on researchers and other organizations to pull it out, or we just rely on schools to push it out, it'll never move but doing it together and the elephant will probably leave. Thanks very much.